Hello, I'm Connor Sweetman and welcome to InsureTech Radio, the podcast that teaches you about how technology is transforming insurance and about the people making it happen. As always, we are brought to you by InsureTech Ireland. Visit our website, insuretechireland.org. There you can sign up to our free community newsletter. Every week we'll send you three nuggets of insight from the InsureTech and startup ecosystems. This week my guest is Natalie Novak, Chief Community Officer at Startup Boost. We talk about how to build communities, whether that be of customers, employees or fellow entrepreneurs. We talk about why that's important. And we also talk about the changing face of communities in light of COVID-19. A lot of Natalie's interest in business communities and the social practices of entrepreneurs came from a trip that she took to Santiago in Chile. And what she found was that the motivation of the entrepreneurs there was not what she expected. Yeah, so um, when, I, when I arrived there, um, I hadn't been to uh, Chile before. I'd never been in South America. I did. I, I do have Spanish language skills, but I haven't really met anyone in that space. And I was coming from a very academic perspective. So really understanding entrepreneurship um, from um, the way that, that it's taught in academia, which looks at... Um, Entrepreneurs are, are starting ventures because there's some sort of economic rationale for it. Uh, but when I was in the co-working spaces and attending the meetups and talking with founders, that economic rationale wasn't uh, really the, the kind of prime driver for what they were doing. I was really learning about this kind of change that they wanted to see in the world. And they were really, that was what was really the, the strong driver for them is like to make this change and to have some sort of impact. And I thought that was something that the academic literature really hadn't um, been able to, to capture that um, up to that point very well. And, and especially talking with female entrepreneurs that were there. I'll never forget a meetup that I attended in Santiago, um, where an investor a uh, venture capitalist came and was speaking to the group about, you know, how to become um, investor ready. And he made this, uh, this statement that um, I'll never forget. And he said, um, I'll never invest in a, a woman um, because she might have, have a child and the business will no longer be, um, no longer will be her, her prime focus. So this was something that was just like so shocking and also really kind of got me thinking about, uh, what kind of challenges that that women face um, going into business, and they already are a minority already. So that was 2015. So a number of years ago, that uh, investor, thankfully, is not like the majority, um, and really um, kind of, I think, a very isolated case. But it was so eye opening, and it really gave me this um, this hunger to to learn more um, and to really understand this challenge and. Um, and what these founders are facing. Yeah, that's um, a great example of you know you know pure conscious bias. Uh, have you seen uh, other examples of kind of what what people talk about as unconscious bias? Uh, you know, just things that are a bit more subtle and harder to maybe detect on on a surface level. Yeah, and I think a lot. Um, what some of the the most prominent examples are around um, building early startup teams, so bringing um, team members into your company. And one of the the real kind of primary drivers and is uh, 
when it comes to developing your team, uh, you see a lot of founders prioritizing what they call culture fit um, or kind of a cultural fit. And uh, from a sociological perspective, we have lots of definitions and understandings of culture. But um, when it comes to early stage startup company, a lot of times founders kind of understand culture fit as kind of having someone that can really hang with the group that is very aligned um, in their mindset and their ideals with the rest of the early founding team, um, which sometimes can lead to um, kind of pursuing um, kind of a, a very homogenous um, company structure at the beginning. And that is could be an example of, of a implicit bias and not necessarily thinking that someone that looks different or thinks differently might be a good asset uh, for the company. Yeah, and I was just thinking there of, uh, I, suppose I was thinking from maybe the business's point of view, um, say you're a two-person or a three-person founding team and you're about to hire your first two or three, or maybe one person or two people. Um, and I, imag- I imagine a lot of the, the candidates or potential candidates they're probably thinking about are from their initial network. So uh, so I suppose, what do you think they could do to maybe make sure that they're casting a, a wider net as possible? Yeah, and I think you make a really good point about, you know, looking within your own network first. And there's there's also, some, it reminds me of, of a quote from, from one of my interview subjects who said, I have a highly curated network that um, kind of involves a lot of people that think like me and um, are a very, we're very aligned in terms of our worldview, but it doesn't always give you the, the window of, of where your own biases are or where your own barriers are. So think, have a look at your personal network. Look at, see how many people of color are in, in your network. How many people come from different age groups? or people from different geographies or different levels of privilege. And I think that's something that we find uh, if you take a really hard look at, at the network that you have and the voices that, that you are listening to every day, if it's your Twitter feed or your LinkedIn feed or the news that you read, you often find that, you know, wow, a lot of these people are saying a lot of the same things. I, I'm agreeing with them. And you realize you've created this filter bubble around yourself. So I really encourage uh, founders or people in tech to really look outside the box, really think about what sort of uh, th- viewpoints that they're, that they're missing. Um, and it's, it's okay not to agree with everyone, but to completely ignore or not necessarily uh, give, give time to um, alternative views Um that and, and even knowing those those views is important. So I, I think it's it, there's not a, a very clear clear um, way to do it, but always to kind of taking that time to to think about you know what um, views are am I not hearing? Um, because even if you're hearing lots of views that you might not necessarily agree with, being able to understand where they come from gives you uh, additional support when it comes to defending your own views and why you hold them. Yeah, and of course that's quite difficult as well because you know you'd have to have a very strong level of uh, self awareness. But I think just recognizing that there could potentially be a gap uh, is very important. And and having a strong self self awareness, I think, is an important 
trait to really cultivate, especially if you're building a product for a global market. You really need to be thinking um, in a, a very in a very global sense from from a very early stage, and by kind of curating a, a very diverse network, and by taking in um, different viewpoints and ideas from places that um, may be very far or um, different from you, you're in a better position to be able to not only market to um, to to those to those folks, but to also be able to position your product in in, in the most um, strategic way when it comes to coming into new markets or into new um, industry sectors um, or, or different types of, of product fields. So you're chief community officer at Startup Boost. I was curious about your role. So like when a business or a, c- a community focused organization like yourselves are, are, are looking, say, for a chief community officer, what are they looking for people to do, first of all? And then what kind of background and skills are they looking for as well? Yeah, so chief community officer is is kind of a new um, kind of new type of role, but I think it's one that is incredibly important in this digital age, and especially as companies really realize the importance of having a strong mission and values, and and realize that consumers really uh, connect with companies based on their mission and values, and that you know cultivating their their own communities as as brands is incredibly important. So I think it's a role that will um, be increasingly important. Um, but for our side, Startup Boost really at its heart is a community organization. There are a number of different stakeholders that we have from our city directors, from our mentors, from our speakers, to the startups that that we're working with, they all have to be, um, they, they're all part of something that is much bigger than any one of them. Um, and, that, and that's what Startup Boost is at the heart of it. So a chief community officer is someone that um, really spends most of their time um, developing uh, programming and supporting those in the community and really at working actively to connect one another, um, to build experiences or, around um, around the, the brand or the entity um, so that people interact and um, create bonds um, with one another. So fostering that environment where people can really share and come together and feel that they are a part of something where um, creating this space that people feel safe and that they feel validated by. Um, and as we are uh, uh, working with a lot of volunteers in our city programs, uh, you really have to create that space that they feel supported to do their work, to be able to give back. Um, and that, that's really what, um, what I do as a, as a chief community officer to manufacture those interactions and create that space where, where people feel supported, um, and that they can, um, do their best to give back and support one another. Great. I was hoping maybe we could, uh, shift a little bit just to, uh, discuss kind of the changing face of communities. And I'm particularly interested in, you know, given your experience uh, as a sociologist, um, like what do you think will be the the implications from a community perspective uh, as a result of COVID-19? Yeah, so so this is a, is a really big question. And it really, what I think it does for me is it really kind of want, makes me want to think about, let's unpack what community is. Um, and community is something that makes you 
feel validated, but it's also something that feels intrinsically a part of you. So community is something that aligns with your identity. And what I hope COVID-19 really helps people realize, uh, your your community affiliation does not have to be something that is uh, geographically bounded. We really have the opportunity to really lean into um, different sorts of uh, our identity that, that might be um, that, that can be unlocked by, by a more digital space. So for founders or entrepreneurs or people in tech, um, you're no, you're not limited to just what's in your own backyard or your local resources. And what tools would you recommend for people? Say they might say they feel a bit isolated now in lockdown or even just in their own worlds. What online tools would you recommend for people to check out first? Yeah, and and I think I think this um, will will vary really based on um, a, a lot of your experience. But um, one of the biggest ones, obviously, that um, would be I'd be remiss not to mention would be Twitter, of course, because it is a very much a global conversation. And some of the connections that I've built on that platform with founders, VCs, advisors incredible scholars from all over the world just by being a part of that conversation um coming in and kind of saying letting know, people know that that you appreciate their work or that or even challenging people at times you really have an opportunity to be a part of a a, a global conversation on that platform i'm interested in uh in how you use twitter um cuz I'm on Twitter and I found I can find it a little bit overwhelming sometimes. Um, and at one stage, a couple of months ago, I, you know, I was following like a thousand people or something. I said, no, I'm just going to uh, bring that right down to 150. I said, and I'm anytime I want to follow someone else, I have to delete, delete another person. And I found actually since I did that, I'm, I've curated, um, uh, I get a lot more value out of uh, the stuff I see on Twitter. But having said all that, I'm a bit of a lurker on Twitter. Like, I don't engage a whole lot. You know, I might retweet the odd thing. I might like the odd thing. But I don't really comment. I don't, other than maybe promoting uh, some of my own activities, I don't really uh, uh, post much. So I just wondered, like, what what advice would you have to... Because I don't think I'm unusual. I probably, um, for the majority of Twitter users, are probably... Uh, lurking around like me so like what what advice would you give to people who want to engage but they don't really know how to engage sure and and i think your own experience is is really illustrative because you were proactive about it you said you know my current strategy wasn't working so i shifted it and now i'm getting a lot more value out of it and value is really kind of the heart of it you know how do you build uh trust how do you build uh people to to recognize you and that's by providing value and providing value first. So being that person that is putting out content that's good, that's not just self-promotional, that's trying to share something that, you know, something that you've learned, uh, share something, you know, you made a really great connection. You learned of something that was wonderful, sharing that and people recognize that. Um, being part of a conversation, contributing good points, uh, these are all ways of providing value. And if you go into something as a kind of passive, um, in, in a passive way, um, you can't expect um, to be getting a whole lot in return. Um, but if you are active about, you know, let me think about some of the, the real 
positive things that, that I can put out there? What are some of the things that I want people to know about me? How do, how do I use this to, to build my uh, credibility and to, to get people interested in what I'm doing? Um, and it's really about providing value and making it in a way that, um, people can, um, can empathize with and that they can understand really quickly and get to know you. And I think that's, that's something that, that you can think about. How am I providing value? Um, and sharing things that, that are, I mean, everyone has their own way, um, of, of using it. It's a social media platform, but if you want to use it as a tool, um, for developing yourself professionally or for a business, that is one of the best ways to do it. Not, you're not just there to sell something, but you're there to create a great experience. And then people are automatically attracted to that. So if you're there and you're constantly putting out good stuff, people are attracted to it. Um, and they will come to you. And that's the first step about creating a community is that you don't, as I said before, you don't launch a community. You just help support that momentum that's already coming your way. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just kind of uh, nearly uh, get out of the way and give it a little nudge as it goes past you. Um, cool. Well, I really enjoyed our conversation, Natalie. Uh, I'd like to give you uh, the last word. Have you any uh, parting words uh, to our community here in InsureTech Ireland? Yeah. So what what I kind of what what I want to say is that you know when it comes to building a community or you want to build a community around your brand or your industry or or what you um, what you offer really think, really understand from the beginning that it's not just a sales tactic. It's about creating value for people, even if they aren't prospective customers, for them to understand what you bring into the world and understand that um, in, in a very positive light and know that it is a process that, you know, working on a fostering community and building a community around yourself, it's not going to happen overnight. And it's something that you will have a number of bumps along the way. You're not going to get it right the first time. And that's okay. It's okay to fail. It's okay to get up and try again and just keep working at it and really spend a lot of time listening and understanding um, those people that, that you want in your community that you hope to foster and bring to your community and to really think about how can I be more inclusive and more expansive in my activities? Because once you bring down those barriers, some that you might not even know that you have up, um, you'll be so surprised at what you can gain from it. So go into every community building exercise with a really open mind. Um, and good luck and enjoy the process. <laughs> I think that's really wise advice. Thanks very much, Natalie. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Connor. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on LinkedIn and please visit our website, insuretechireland.org. See you next week.